Welcome to Raise the Line with Osmosis from Elsevier, seeking solutions with leading experts on how to increase healthcare capacity so people can get the care they need during the pandemic and beyond. Hi, I'm Shivaglani, and I've really been looking forward to this episode because I recently had a personal encounter with the system we're going to be discussing today and was quite impressed with the experience. I'm talking about an advanced MRI screening that can detect solid cancer at stage one and 500 other medical conditions. The company behind the screening, Pernuvo, was founded by my guest today, Andrew Lacey, who is a serial entrepreneur, investor, and advisor in a wide range of industries, including science and health. Pernuvo has locations across North America, finding cancers earlier than normal or that were missed on standard screenings. So Andrew, thanks for taking the time to be with us today. Shiva, it's really great to be here. So we always like to start by asking our guests to, in their own words, tell us about their backstory, their hero origin story, and what got them interested in medicine and healthcare. Sure. So I think my story is not unusual amongst folks out there. I hit my 40s. I'm a serial entrepreneur. I worked too hard. I carried probably a more than normal level of stress. And I remember looking in the mirror one day and asking myself, you know, how do I know I'm okay? to build a better future for the world or for ourselves. And you know, what if I'm not going to be around to actually see that future that I'm creating? So I went out and tried to get an answer to that question. And I did a whole bunch of medical tests, colonoscopy, genetic screening, blood tests, and so on. And I got these little bits and pieces of answers, but I didn't get one comprehensive answer until I ran into a founding radiologist who had a clinic in Vancouver, Canada doing these scans. I went and got the experience, the same experience that you did, and after an hour in this machine, I learned more about my health than the health system had told me my entire life. And I think most entrepreneurs would sort of recognize this moment when you just kind of feel like you see the future. And for me, seeing the results of this scan felt like I was seeing the future of healthcare. And from that moment on, that was really my mission was to figure out how can I take this and, you know, bring this to the world. Yeah, no, amazing. And as I mentioned, I had the opportunity to go to your New York office and get a scan a couple of weeks back. Fortunately, all clear, which was icing on the cake, obviously. And I was impressed with how kind of professional and high-end the experience seemed, but it seems pretty affordable for a lot of people who are interested in taking their health care very seriously. So that's a great backstory. And I was wondering, can you give an overview of the actual founding of the company and kind of the evolution of it in the years since you started it? Sure. So in the very early years, this was, I think, four and a half, almost five years ago, we were really focused on just trying to understand if we could even build a market for this screening product. Now, looking back, it feels like it should have been more obvious, but we have a health system that is unfortunately very reactive. I think 95% of our $4 trillion that we spend on healthcare in the US is reactive healthcare. And so as a system, we're really good at evaluating and figuring out whether an incremental health improvement is going to be a good thing for that system. But actually, we're not really good at sort of challenging some of the core assumptions of the healthcare system. And and that's what we had to spend a lot of time, I guess, beating the pavement, talking to physicians, meeting patients and doing. So in that first year, we really just built a practice in Vancouver, Canada. From there, we bootstrapped a location in Silicon Valley. And that was really key for us as a company because, of course, that's where a lot of investors are. And it's one thing to tell investors, even investors you know well, that you're building the future of health and they should come to Vancouver, Canada to check it out. It's another thing to just come down the road. And during that that first year of launching Silicon Valley, we ended up imaging a vast number of venture capitalist investors and it made it a lot easier for us to raise a Series A around two years ago. And ever since then, we've been expanding and we're now in nine locations and we have another four or five this year to open. 
Wow, that's amazing. And, and actually really good backstory of how, how you kind of got on the map of Silicon Valley. And before we even started the podcast, I mentioned that we share an investor. So Osmosis, the series A, was led by Felicis Ventures and Aiden Senkut was on our board, the founder of Felicis. And I believe they invested. Was it in your series A or at what point did they invest? Well, this is going back a long way, but I met Aiden in 2008, actually. My very first company, he was one of our first angel investors. And that company was the very first iPhone company. It was a company called Tapulous. And the parallels, I mean, totally different sector, but the parallels are pretty interesting in that we understood very early on that the iPhone would be a totally new platform or sort of bring in this mobile platform. And most investors at the time thought that was just another brand of phone that had very poor market share. So why would you focus on it? And Item was one of those investors that really understood you know, and also had a very visceral reaction to, hey, you know, this could be a big platform here. You know, I want to go all in on this. And I think similarly now, 10 years later, the fundamental technology that underpins Pranuvo is MRI. It's a very advanced form of MRI and we have our own equipment and so on, but it's MRI. And a lot of investors or people out there look at this technology and say, well, this has been around for 30 years and this is about diagnostic use cases. And we looked at it and said, well, actually, there's this screening use case, and maybe it's 100 times bigger. And again, Aiden was one of those investors who really understood at a visceral level that this could be something transformational in the healthcare space. And him and his team have just been wonderful to work with. Absolutely. He's very good at spotting the future, but then also picking winners and helping create that future. He also, he and our other board member, Alan Patrickoff, who started Greycroft, introduced me to 23andMe, who, with whom we've been working with for some years. And I understand that Ann Wojcicki, who's the founder of 23andMe, CEO, and was also on the podcast as an investor in your, in your company. Can you tell us a bit about the parallels between Pernuvo and 23andMe that you see? Sure. I mean, it's so funny because when I was going through business school back in 2005, I, I believe that was the year that 23andMe was founded. And I remember thinking at the time, holy cow, this is the most the coolest company I could possibly imagine. <laughs> and she was like a real, I never met her. She was like a real, you know, back then she was a real model, role model for me. And definitely it was formative in my desire to want to not only get into startups, but really focus on things that could be transformational, not things that, you know, not ideas that could just be incremental. And we reconnected or we connected actually for the first time around Pranuvo. And I think one of the things that I found so cool about 23andMe was the idea that you can create these insights from things that you can't see, you know, in, in the case of 23andMe, DNA. And I, and I feel like that's something that we have in common with that company in Pranuvo in that, you know, we are able to identify and bring to you medical insights that you ordinarily wouldn't see if you looked in the mirror. And I think there's just something magical about those types of businesses. Totally. Yeah, it's really interesting. And interesting parallel because most people would be, get the obvious connection, which is direct to consumer and making making previously very expensive and complicated and just fairly intimidating tests, whether it's genetic or it's MRI, more accessible. And so clearly that's one of the innovations of Pernuvo is to do that. I'm wondering, are there parallels also between 23andMe where you know, they obviously have all this, this massive data set now, have done really cool partnerships with companies like GlaxoSmithKline to do actual drug discovery and development. Do you see any parallels with kind of the number of MRIs you're doing? You know, and while we're at it, might as well talk about AI as well, because everyone's talking about that now and any applications of AI that you're looking at. Yeah, it's a really, really great question. I think one of the things that 
we first of all need to reframe as we think about our health is that our health system sees us as normal until we are diagnosed with some type of advanced disease. And what we're learning at Pranuvo, because the vast majority of people that we image are quote unquote normal. That doesn't mean that there aren't things going on under the skin, but those things are still very early. And so in some ways we're redefining what normal looks like. And when you start imaging tens of thousands of people in such a comprehensive way, it's really helping further our understanding of early disease progression. And of course, you can imagine as you get better and better at diagnosing disease earlier, that may be the, there might be interesting targets for drug discovery. There may be new preventive health medical approaches that might be more effective. In fact, it may even help us avoid the medical system altogether and just focus on lifestyle interventions because, of course, they're much, much more likely to be positive the earlier you address a problem. Yeah, no, absolutely. I totally get that. So can you give us any sense of scale? I know you've said nine locations. You raised the Series A two years ago, tens of thousands of scans, maybe maybe more. I'm not sure. Can you give us a bit of the highlights of the company's growth and where you see it going over the next several years? Are you going to go focus on those nine locations or are you going to try being 90 locations in the next you know five years? Yeah, th- we're really focusing our energies in two areas. The first area is the clinical exam that you did that people come in and do today. It's actually, a, it, we think it's a great exam. A lot of our energy and attention is in scaling horizontally to be able to offer that to as many people as possible, not just in North America, but also around the world. And we're doing that by building our own locations and also by partnering with like-minded businesses that are interested in a preventive health approach to our lives. The second thing we're really investing a lot of time in, you mentioned AI, is really deepening our understanding of aging. And there's sort of a vicious cycle, actually, that's not the right word, I guess, a virtuous cycle, more appropriately, where obviously the more image data we collect, the more fidelity we get around understanding what is normal and what is abnormal and where you are on that spectrum. And and the more health insights we're able to deliver back to our members and the more insightful the scans are, particularly longitudinally, the more members we will acquire. And that sort of virtuous cycle helps us really not only provide a better and better product for people as they come in, but also further, you know, our understanding of health and science. So what's interesting when you came in is we captured a whole baseline of information about your body. We calculated organ volumes and muscle volumes, and we segmented your brain and we did a bunch of things. And we're slowly working through an FDA process to be able to expose more and more of that to members like yourself. But the good news is we already collected it. So when you come in again in a year or two, we're going to be able to probably, we'll hopefully be able to tell you a lot about how, you know, what the trajectory of your health looks like. That's awesome. So it's a little, again, that's a parallel to 23andMe where even, you know, you take the test and then years later, if there's a study about a certain, you know, SNP, single nucleotide polymorphism that's associated with, you know, some sort of condition, They'll, they'll let you know, or family, right? Like if, if they discover a family member of yours or something like that. So do you see some, something similar? Again, probably it's because of, I'm very enamored by that company and sort of their approach to research. So I would love to find ways that we could also do similar things with the image data that we acquire. I remember reading a couple of years ago, a New York bestseller book by Matthew Walker on why we sleep. And he looked a lot at the physiology of the brain. And there was a study where I think they looked at 30 patients 
and they sort of correlated their sleep patterns with the size of the amygdala. Well, you know, when you're imaging tens of thousands of patients, you can imagine just how quickly you could sort of build on that research in a much more comprehensive way, simply by asking people that come in about how they sleep. That's really great. That kind of opens my mind as to far more possibilities, and it makes it very exciting to follow the journey. You know, I wanted to ask you about, you know, you've been working on this for a couple of years now. What are some of the things that make you most proud? And are there any specific stories you want to share? Because clearly from a visceral level, being able to, you know, detect a cancer in someone early on before it takes them, you know, to stage four seems like a very gratifying mission. And I'll, I will interject that, you know, you're on the Raise Line podcast, but probably the, the most famous podcast I've heard about for Nouveau on is the All In podcast. And mm-hmm. there was a very, I think Jason mentioned someone who, you know, heard about Pernubo through the All In podcast, got the test and, you know, found something that could have been very bad very early on. So maybe you can tell us a bit about some of the anecdotes that make you most proud. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, I feel so blessed every day because it's, you know, in a former life, I backpacked around the world like most Australians and, you know, volunteered at Habitat for Humanity and building houses and doing various things. And so there's a lot of, the world presents a lot of opportunity to do social good. And of course, there are also lots of opportunities to build business. And it's just a rare possibility to be able to do both at the same time. In the folks that come into our exams, approximately around 4% of people we find an early stage cancer in or an aneurysm. And so there's a potential to really have a life-saving diagnosis in one in every 20 people. And at a certain level, as we grow, that statistic of live save becomes bigger and bigger. And it's the core KPI of the company. I mean, we share this in our all hands meetings every month, but at the same time, it's like the personal stories that really hit home hard folks that didn't say, I remember a woman who didn't smoke a day in her life, age 38, we found a stage one lung cancer that, you know, she had successful surgery on a couple of weeks later. I remember a woman who wrote me a letter saying that her mother had died of ovarian cancer and she had had this pain in her abdomen and she was, you know, she would look at her kids and imagine what their life is going to be like without their mother. And then, you know, because she surely had the same condition and we imaged her and we found out she had some relatively minor problem with her back. And that peace of mind is just incredible. So I feel so blessed to be able to have patients reach back and tell us a lot about these, I guess, these personal stories. And it's the fuel that sort of enables us to keep building, you know, seven days a week to move the company forward. Yeah, I can imagine how gratifying that is, especially I'm sure you have people who at this stage want to work at Pernubo or already do work at Pernubo because of their experience as a as a patient and, and just believing in the mission so much. We have a lot of folks that are either cancer survivors or folks, unfortunately, close to them that have passed away from that. Similarly, most of our investors, people that have experienced, in fact, all of our investors have experienced the scan firsthand. I mean, they're excited to not only because they hope that we'll be a good investment for them, but also because I think many of us share a desire for our health system to be more focused on preventive care. Yep. And that, that's clearly been a theme of us, of our podcast, Raise Line. You know, we started it because our goal is to train more healthcare professionals more efficiently and then keep them in practice for longer. But the other piece of that is, you know, I've always said there won't ever be enough endocrinologists to treat everyone with diabetes out there. So we need to also work on the demand side of the equation and get people earlier before, you know, before they get stage four cancer and have to go to a, a surgeon, let's detect it earlier and then be able to treat it before they need, you know, tertiary or coronary care. 
I'm curious though, so we've had guests on the podcast like Eric Topol, who wrote The Patient Will See You Now and you know has been a really great mentor of mine. We wrote a paper together some years ago as well. And he has been an advocate for patient empowerment and engagement, the type of direct-to-consumer healthcare that you and 23andMe have been scaling out. One of the objections that the healthcare community sometimes has is around just kind of the false positives or getting people to be the, the worried well, where like they'll see something, but it may not actually be anything. It'll cause them more worry than, than, than maybe they, they need to have at that stage in their life. What do you think about like that side of the equation? Because it's an important one to discuss. I know I was considering it when I was going in for the scan of like, what if I find something and it's not really a thing? Like, what do I do then? Yeah, I think there's probably three comments I would make if I'm able to. The first would be, it sort of reflects a bit of a misunderstanding of what the preventative screening at Pranuvo is doing. We don't often diagnose, for example, cancer. What we do is we look at lesions in the body and we risk stratify these lesions. So we work really hard so that the technology can provide a really clear distinction between things you don't have to worry about at all and do nothing about to things that are a little bit concerning and you might need to do something. Second, in oftentimes things that are in the concerning bucket, many of them are there because they tend to be quite small. So obviously the smaller the feature, the lesion, the, the harder it is to, you know, obviously accurately characterize it. What's great about, and you know, what's really different about preventative screening is from a diagnostic context is many of these lesions, the appropriate thing to do is just to come in for another screening in a year or two. And we can measure change over time. And that's going to tell us more than anything about whether something is concerning or not. And then the third thing I think is, you know, anecdotally, there's this fear that if patients know a lot about their health, then they're going to freak out or make the wrong decisions. And our experience has been the opposite. People feel empowered. We survey all of our patients between six to 12 months after they do the scan. We ask them, do you feel like you have more, you're more in control of your health now than you were before? Do you feel you have more clarity about what's going on with your body now than you did before? And universally, those responses are very positive. And anecdotally, we've not really heard of any cases of people, you know, quote unquote, sort of freaking out about things that they might have learned from the exam. That's super relatable because I think the, you know, having gone through med school, I'm actually still in, in med school. I took time off to build osmosis and then we were acquired a year and a half ago, but now I'm back in med school. The paternalistic view or like where you need a doctor to tell you exactly what your body probably knows already never really struck a good chord with me because, you know, I think we need more patients to be empowered. I'd rather have a patient who's maybe a bit more worried than they should be, but they, they care about their body and they care about their health and that other family than the reverse someone who doesn't really care about it and doesn't treat their body well. I think another way to look at this sort of more philosophically would be to say, you know, if someone is afraid to learn what's going on about their health, that is much less a reflection on companies like Pranuvo and much more a reflection on our health system because our health system has taught us to associate disease with bad outcomes, expensive treatments, scary stuff. And you know, in a world where things are caught early, maybe we start to associate it with preventative maintenance, you know, inexpensive lifestyle modifications, much less scary. And I think that's philosophically the world that, you know, Pranuvo and other preventive health companies, I think that's what we're trying to build as we reshape what we believe is healthcare of the future. Hmm. That's awesome. That's a really, really interesting way to look at it. And actually a good transition to my next question, which is, as you know, Osmosis, you know, we're a teaching company. We train healthcare professionals, we teach patients, we teach the general public. 
you know, with 23andMe, we're teaching people about genetics education, a whole concept around, we call it Europe the Zebra, where we teach people about rare diseases. If you could snap your fingers and teach any audience some concept or a course, what would it be and why? Wow. My mind, of course, is always at the challenges that we have as a company in some ways. So if, if my audience were medical students, I think I would want people to think and reflect much more deeply on the question of why don't we have more preventative health in our health system? And I think some part of it is, root, I think is rooted in a few reasons. One is the sort of power that's required for a trial around a quote-unquote longevity intervention is huge. You need to be able to study millions and millions of people to be able to, I guess, satisfy a level of clinical proof around these things. And many of the interventions that are being studied or used or practiced, they're not pharmaceutical drugs that have billion-dollar patentable sort of compounds. They're oftentimes very straightforward and common-sense approaches. We might want to ask the question, why was it... There's a big longevity trial going on right now around metformin. I don't know if you're familiar with this. It's it's a NIH-funded trial. I think it's great that we're studying that drug and whether it might help us live longer but what's really interesting about that has been, you know, that took many, many years to get the funding in place to investigate that because there was no patentable molecule at the end of the sort of at the end of that trial. And so as a society, we are really good at building clinical trials that support incremental improvements through pharmaceutical drugs. But for some reason, we haven't figured out how to do this in the context of preventive health. And I think for young kids going through medical school today, I would love it if they could help us solve that problem and maybe change a little bit our mentality or the way that we think about preventive health away from potentially proven by evidence to sort of evidence-informed. An example of that being sort of cancer. I mean, there's no known, there's certainly no clinical evidence that shows that the higher the disease burden in your body from cancer, the better the outcome. In fact, the reverse is true. But to prove an intervention sort of saves lives in the field of cancer screening, you, you actually have to also understand all the other ways people could die for the rest of their lives. And that, unfortunately, is a trial that might take 20, 30, 40 years. So, you know, I would hope that some people can help us solve this problem for the good of science. Hmm. That's yeah, very interesting. And I do hope that some of our listeners take that seriously because it is a big problem. It's actually something that is also facing another series of researchers we've been having on the podcast and the psychedelic space where, you know, the obviously psychedelics have become very exciting for mental health conditions, but also just human flourishing in general. But clinical trials around psychedelics are very hard because, you know, you can't really patent psilocybin or LSD. These compounds have been around for decades or centuries, really, some of them. So yeah, it's a very interesting problem that I think would help multiple areas of healthcare if we were to solve it. Yeah. And I would love to speak to people about how we can sort of further our investigation of the science here. Yeah. We'll put a pin on that and maybe figure out if there's something to follow up on that. You were talking mm -hmm. about medical students. Obviously, we have an audience of millions of current and future healthcare professionals. I was wondering what advice would you have for them about meeting their careers in healthcare during this very interesting time, post-pandemic, AI, you know, what does it look like for them? I can speak to the health professionals that I work with every day. And, you know, we now have dozens of radiologists working with us and obviously a lot of MRI technologists that image our patients. And we have nurse practitioners that work with us and speak to patients. 
I think a lot of people got into medicine because they really believed, well, because they wanted to help people. And I think, again, the challenge is that the well-worn path leads towards a reactive healthcare system for the most part, where by the time you're seeing a patient, your ability to really affect the outcome you, you know, is not what you thought it would be when you entered medical school. And so my, what I would encourage people to do is, you know, spend some time in, you know, companies like us, companies like 23andMe, companies that are focused around functional medicine or, I don't know, mobility or things that are really kind of looking at health differently. And I think if you do that, you know, A, you might find that sort of fulfillment that you expected to get as when you went into the medical profession and B, you might help us, you know, again, make our view of healthcare a lot more well-rounded, but you know, that's for sure as a lot of radiologists have joined us and they feel like their career has been renewed because they're finally able to really affect outcomes in a way that they'd hope to. So I think that's the promise of all of this wonderful technology coming out of COVID that's focused around preventive health. Yeah, that's great advice. And it resonates actually with the first time I went to a one medical appointment, I asked the physician there how they liked working at one medical, because, you know, clearly we keep hearing about burnout and, you know, clinicians who spend more time in documentation than they do with patients, et cetera. And they said there was the first time they were working at a company at a health system or health clinic that they didn't feel burned out, that, you know, their well-being and health were prioritized just like that of their patients because it was more preventative as opposed to, you know, hospitalist type sick care medicine. So that, that resonates. Yeah. I want to be respectful of your time. So I only had two other questions. The first is just more broadly, you've had a very successful career as a serial entrepreneur and leader. Do you have any other lessons or advice you want to share with our audience about, you know, if they want to be innovative and, and kind of follow in your footsteps? In general, I would say, don't wait, you know, to jump into it as soon as you can. I think my philosophy about career and entrepreneurship is sort of like a conventional philosophy about investing your money. You know, when you're young, you should take risks when you're able to. And then, you know, as you further along in your career or you have other responsibilities, like, you know, it may, it gets harder and harder. So I think it's particularly for people in the medical profession, you know, I went and studied law. I studied law because I had the grades to study law. I never really thought to myself, do I want to be a lawyer? Is this even interesting to me? And I suspect, you know, if it's not law for many people, it's medicine. So I would say, ask yourself these questions before you get on that treadmill, because, you know, thankfully law is kind of a three-year degree, but medicine, you know, you can spend 10 years studying before you actually might have the opportunity to look up and say, well, actually, is this the thing that I wanted to do? So that would be my, my advice. Take risks early, ask questions, and don't do something just because society tells you that that's the thing you should do if you're a smart person. <laughs> 100% aligned with all of those. Those are really good. My last question for you, is there anything else you want our audience to know about you, Pranuvo, healthcare in general? Really open mic for you. I would just maybe end with a thought that this is such a wonderful time to be in preventive health. I think coming out of COVID, people are aware of the importance of preventive health like never before. We understood that people that struggled with COVID were people that had comorbidities and oftentimes they didn't even know about them when they sort of turned up in hospital with problems breathing. At the same time, I think we're also starting to realize that it's really our responsibility to take control of our health, that the health system is wonderful for treating problems when they present, 
But our jobs as individuals, as humans, as folks that want to optimize our lifespan and health span is to really take responsibility for the one life that we have. And, you know, the analogy I think that most people don't realize, but when I talk about it, it makes sense is in the field of medicine, the only profession that has got it right is dentistry. Because in America, 150 million people go to the dentist every year, regardless of whether or not they have tooth pain. And we understand intuitively if we go to the dentist, well, if we brush our teeth first, that we're less likely to need a filling. But worst case is we'll need a filling. The odds of having a root canal sort of drop to close to zero. And in some ways, what we're trying to do is be just like the dentist, but for the rest of your body. That's a great analogy. I'll have to send that particular clip to my sister and brother-in-law who are both dentists in Chicago and they have, I think, six or seven dental clinics at this point. So I know they'll love to hear that as well. I think it's a great analogy and, and one that I never actually put two and two together that that's what we should be striving for in medicine too. So Andrew, I really want to thank you not only for the time on the podcast, but more importantly for the work you and your team have done at Pernuvo to make MRI screening more accessible. To, to so many people, including myself. I had, a, again, a wonderful experience. I recommend our audience check it out and try using it themselves because many of them will be asked by their patients too about technologies and offerings like yours. So it's I think it's good for their patients if they know, have a, have a working understanding of what it's about. So thanks for taking the time and, and everything you've done for Nuvo. For sure, I appreciate it. It's really great to hang out. Look forward to staying in touch too. Likewise, Andrew. And with that, I'm Shiv Uglani. Thank you to our audience for checking out today's show. And remember to do your part to raise line and strengthen our healthcare system. We're all in this together. Take care. If you like this podcast, please share it on your social channels. You can also subscribe to the series and check out all of our episodes at osmosis.org slash raise the line podcast. Podcast.